are listening to the weekly message at Woods Chapel Blue Springs, where it doesn't matter who you are or where you are coming from, everyone is included, accepted, and loved. For more information, please visit us at woodschapelbluesprings.org. Good morning. My name is Michael Scott, and I'm the pastor here at Wood Chapel Blue Springs, and I just want to thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, a special thanks to Nathan Harkins, who's here with us today, who put that video together. I love the throwback. Uh, I felt like that was like my childhood in like 30 seconds there. But all those games we've been playing. I want to start out this morning by thanking um, all of those who have put all the hard work in. We've been slowly opening here at Wood Chapel Blue Springs over the last few weeks as we've invited some people back to kind of get back into the swing of things. We've had some new equipment, we have new cameras, we have new audio, uh, we have a bunch of new stuff. So some training has been happening, and I'm happy to announce that as of next Sunday, so on the 30th, we are reopening our doors to the public, and we will be open for in-person services. And so we've been opening slowly, now it's going to look a little different. We have six-foot aisles, uh, there's going to be two chairs between you and the next person that you don't know. And if you want to stay at home and worship, we are going to keep providing our same online services. So I hope you know that the team here has worked very hard to provide a good experience, whether you're here in person or at home. And if you are comfortable with coming back, I do want to invite you to come back and join us next week. Now, today we're starting week two on this series called The Games We Play. And it's kind of a throwback, uh, at least to my childhood. Uh, some of you are younger than me, some of you are older than me, but I think a lot of us, who here has played a board game? Who here likes board games? How about at home? Y'all play board games? My family and I love board games, and we play all kinds of games from, you know, Monopoly, Sorry, Jenga, uh, Scrabble, those are the four that we're talking about. But I believe that board games, since we've all played them hopefully since we were little or maybe in our childhood or even as adults, I believe that these board games can teach us life lessons. And there are important lessons to learn in each of these. So last week we started with the game Sorry. Like a lot of us have played the game Sorry. Who here hasn't apologized to somebody or said sorry to somebody? And so we encourage people, uh, we talked about this idea that when we apologize, when we say we're sorry, that we do that, and that if you're being apologized to, that you are to forgive. But when asking for forgiveness from somebody, when you've hurt somebody, when you've done something, there's this idea, this idea that if you're truly sorry, you're going to change what you're doing. You're going to end and break that cycle of hurt, of pain. And that true uh, forgiveness, or a true, actually, uh, when you're saying you're sorry, when you're asking for forgiveness, that that requires some kind of change inside of us. And so there's this deep ancient Greek word called metanoia. And this word means that after we do something, we think about it differently. And, and we translate that from the Greek into the English as repent. So to repent or to leave this, live this lifestyle, that when we hurt other people, that we live this kind of lifestyle where we're in this state of metanoia, where we change the way we think about things. And we change our actions so that we're no longer hurting each other. And so I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to think of somebody maybe that you have hurt and to reach out to them and to say, you know what, I'm sorry. And to follow it up with real life change. And often we hurt the people that are closest to us. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about Jenga, about the balance of life and how the game of Jenga has hopefully taught us that we need to have life and work balance and school balance, all these things. And then my favorite is going to be Monopoly on last week. Now, I don't lose a Monopoly ever. Because if I start losing, I just quit. And so, it's a true story. My family hates me. I'm a sore loser. But I like winning. Who, come on, everybody, who here likes to win? Y'all like to win? Ryan likes to win. Okay. So, t- 
Today we're going to talk about Scrabble. Now, Scrabble is one of those games that I grew up playing. Uh, and if you don't know what Scrabble is, um, Scrabble is now like half of American homes own the game of Scrabble. Like three quarters, like 75% of Americans have played this game. Internationally, like it's one of the most well-known games. Because it's in like 29 different languages and all this stuff. So Scrabble is this game that you have this board and all these little checkered pieces on it. And you have this little tray. And there's little pieces, wood pieces, square pieces that have letters on them. And the letters on them have a different value system to them. So uh, the more common letters, like so and you're supposed to make words, right, on the board. The more common letters like S or R or T, those have a smaller point value. But letters like Q, I mean, it's really hard to make a word out of Q, right? Quiet, that's the only thing that comes to mind, right? I don't know what else, I don't know what other words you come up with Q. But uh, they, they're worth more. So you put all these letters together, you're supposed to form words. You have to, you can't start a word unless it comes off of somebody else's word. And so then you can get like double words, right? And there's on the board, there's these double letter points, there's these double word points or triple, and you try to get the both points and you win when you run out of pieces, I believe. I don't know, I haven't played in a while. But uh, this is the game of Scrabble, where you literally create words. Now, of those of you that have played the game, whether you're watching at home or in person, how many of you, like how many of you, like made up words? Like you're playing, like when we were kids, like my kids have no clue. Like we didn't have, we didn't have these things where we could like, you know, just Google it and you could just, you know, go and look at the word. Because actually you can't do that now. It's illegal. It's illegal. It's the rules of the game. You can't use an online dictionary. Back in my day, we had like actual books on the shelf. Like this thing called a dictionary, right? And a thesaurus. And I even had a full encyclopedia set. Who had a Britannia, a Brit, was it Britannica? Encyclopedia set. My kids don't even know what that is. Like we had the full set, and if you wanted to know something, this is what you had to go do. And so we played this game, and I would make up words, you know, like quintuply. It's like monopoly with five of them. And so, which isn't a real word. And I'm like, no, that's a real word. And we'd go to the dictionary, you know, look it up. That's not. It's not the dictionary. So it's not the dictionary. It's not a real word. And so uh, that's. I just described my childhood growing up. Uh, that's. We, we would make up these words, and, and the point of the game is that you can, can create value by the words in which you think of, or sometimes make up, but in, in expressing those words, and as many words as you know, or can come up with, you can win the game. Now, I believe that this is important to us because it shows us the literal, right, you have literal values of words, but it's also metaphoric. That these words have value in our life. The words that we use, the things that we come up with, the words we express, they have value. And those words can either hurt or they can heal. They can motivate or they can deflate. They can bless somebody else or they can break somebody else. And these words have power. All words have power. Amy and I, uh, you go to sister campus in Lee Summit. We also have one in Raytown. Uh, Amy and I often spend Monday and Wednesday mornings in our Lee Summit campus. Now, they have more space than we do, so we tend to have our all-campus meetings in Lee Summit. And Amy was telling me this week, she's sitting in the Lee Summit campus, and they have a preschool just like we do. Now, I mentioned Nathan earlier. Nathan's in the back today. Him and his wife, Haley, had a little boy last year named Finn, and Finn is in that preschool. And Amy said she's sitting uh, in our gathering space at our Lee Summit campus. So at the end of our gathering space, there's this beautiful rock wall. And we call it a prayer wall because you, uh, you can sit there, you say a prayer, and you have little pieces of paper you can write on, like a prayer concern. You can fold it up, put it in that rock wall, and then like once a month we take those and we burn those. There's this idea that the thing we're struggling with, the thing we're praying about, we can release those and let them go. 
So she's sitting there, and I, she's in the meeting, and here comes Finn in one of the little carts. One of the teachers was pushing Finn around, and a couple of the kids. And on this rock wall, so it's this beautiful place with a place to sit. It's very zen, you know, it's very peaceful, and it's, it's a prayer wall. And from the ceiling, an artist made little butterflies. I believe they're made out of glass or plastic, I'm not sure. But there's all these butterflies hanging from the ceiling, and it's this beautiful, peaceful place. And Finn's coming up, and he's, he's in the little car, and he's being pushed up. And as he, he gets pushed up, and he's like, hi, Finn. And Finn looks up at her, and he looks over at the butterflies. And in sign language, Finn signs the word butterfly. A little baby. Itty-bitty baby. And she's telling me that story, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how amazing is it that a baby who doesn't even have language yet, that cannot communicate... And good for you, Nathan and Haley, by the way, for teaching a child, a baby sign language. But this little kid saw something, a beautiful butterfly. It made him feel something inside. His brain processed it out via his hands instead of his mouth. He was able to express this idea that he was thankful for those butterflies. You know, I think we take language for granted. Language is, I mean, think about language just for a minute. Think of the fact that we're able to communicate. You know, the only difference between us and other animals in the animal kingdom, like the only difference is that we have language and we have this ability to what? To, to, to communicate, to talk, and because we can communicate, we can empathize with one another, right? It's through communication, it's through words that we're able to hear other people's stories. It's through communication, through words that we're able to understand who they are and what they are and why they are and where they come from. And literally, literally, words are the things that connect us. So when we have conversations, we can feel, right? So we feel something, we process it in our brains, and then we formulate a word to express that feeling and that emotion and that process in our brain. So we can literally look across and look at each other and go, I know what you're thinking, right? Which if I really knew what Ryan was thinking, I don't want to know that. But, but it, think about that for a minute. Somebody's thoughts in their brain were able to communicate that. I don't know, when I sit and think about it, when I pause for just a second and I say, we can communicate. I mean, that's the tool that connects us all together, our words, our language, it connects us. And guess what we do when they're really important? What do we do when words are really important? We, we write them down, right? Or we record it somehow. Now, how many of you have a baby book? This is my baby book from when I was a baby. Or maybe some of you have it for your kids. And this, is my adorable self. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Now I have to be careful with this because I'm old, which means this is old. But in baby books, what are some of the things that you do? You, you write down often, like their first experiences, right? So I was born on April 18th, 1979. So my mom has all this written down. April 25th, 1979. Circumcision fell off. Well, that's not important. May 2nd, belly button fell off. That was not important. Roll over. And you get down, and on July 26th of 1979, my first words are, uh-oh. That's what it says. It says I laugh a lot. I like to clap my hands. I look around. You know, we have some of these books for our kids, um, for some of my children. Well, the ones I like. And so, I'm just <laughs> But when, when things are important, it's, it, these words, like, especially words that mean something to us. You know, when I read that, if my mom read this morning, she 
probably watch it online from, from home this morning. But I'm sure that evokes all this emotion and memories of back when I was a baby. In July of 1979, I was only a few months old, and some of my first words were just little murmurs of Opa. But it communicates, it makes her remember, we write them down. I mean, when things are important to us, we, we write them down and remember them. And so, there's this idea, right? We're all Christians. Uh, maybe not. Maybe we're not all Christians. I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of people who aren't Christians that listen to this. In the Christian tradition, we have this book where people who have experienced God before us, they've experienced this great thing, they felt it inside, it's in their heart, and it goes to their mind, and they formulate words to express their experiences with God. And, and this is what the Bible is all about. Some people read the Bible, and they read it, and they use it to hurt people, and they use it to judge people, and, and they see rules, and they see commandments in here, and they use those to, to say it, and then they think if they follow those rules, that they're better than other people. And really, the Bible is just, it's, it's, a, it's an account. It's somebody writing down the important things that happened to them, where they experienced something great, and they felt it. And they say, you know, we're going to use our words. Now, especially thousands of years ago, when a lot of these stories were written, I mean, the average person couldn't write or read. So to have written language was, was priceless, it was so important, it was paramount, it was crucial. And, and this morning I want to read some of those words, because I believe that struggling with words and the words we use, and that sometimes these important words we use, we use it to hurt people. And sometimes we formulate our own words because we're hurting and then we use it to hurt those around us. And that the idea of language is not meant to hurt. The idea of language is meant to help, to share, to spread joy, kindness, and love. But we aren't good at this. I mean, how many of you are good at this? How many of you love to talk bad about people? How many of you on your way into church, you're having an argument with one of your kids, maybe a spouse? You're like, shut that blank up, you know? Then we're gonna go worship Jesus. Don't act like you don't do that, don't. We know we do that. There's this guy named James, and we're going to read from him in just a minute. And he, he addresses this exact condition. Now, somewhere I got on Facebook, Sean Banks, he's in our booth this morning. He posted a scripture from um, Proverbs 15. Let's look at Proverbs. It's this old, ancient book with all this old, ancient wisdom. This guy named Solomon compiled all these things. And uh, it's just bits of wisdom to help us live life just a little bit better, hopefully. And I would encourage you to go home and read it. Uh, last week, someone was like, you didn't put the scripture up on the screen. I'm like, I did that on purpose. When it's on the screen behind me, you're not paying attention, you're reading. I want you to go home and read these words for yourself because they will speak to you. The human condition, the human experience is the same today as it was thousands of years ago, yet we can't seem to quite figure out, even though, even though we have good instructions of ways and things we can do. And so in Proverbs, it says, a tender answer turns away rage, but a prickly reply spikes anger. It's a good word of wisdom. The words of the wise extend knowledge, but foolish people utter nonsense. How many foolish people do you know? There's a lot of them out there right now. They're everywhere on social media, and I'm convinced that it's a prerequisite for being a news anchor. Okay. <laughs> yes, I attacked our media, and I will continue to, all of them. Anyway, um, not on any side of any fence, I just think they're all out to scare us and to get us to do what they want. Anyway, so, a word of encouragement heals the one who receives it, but a deceitful word breaks the spirit. These are all ideas that the words we use are important. 
important that we're careful with our words, that we use our words intentionally to build people up, to encourage them, to strengthen relationships and who people are. Now, James, now James tends to be a little negative. I'm going to warn you before I read this this morning. James is a little negative. His spin on things is a little like hellfire, damnation, brimstone, but, but we can get the basic gist. So I'm going to read a few things from James. In the third chapter, James says this. He says, we all make mistakes. So if you're in this room this morning or watching from home in your living room or your kitchen or outside, wherever you find yourself this morning, um, he's addressing to all people who make mistakes, right? So I think that's all of us. Um, if you're mistake-free, then get out. Uh, I'm just kidding. Maybe a little bit. And so he says, if there were a person who never said anything wrong, he or she would be perfect. He or she would be able to control their whole body. We put bits in the mouth of horses to make them obey us. We can control their whole bodies, right? So we say this little thing that we put in the mouth of our horse can control a horse. He says the same with ships. A ship is this big thing, and it's pushed by very strong winds, but a very small rudder, rudder controls that big ship. The man who controls the rudder decides where the ship will go. The ship goes where the man wants. So he says it's the same with the tongue. It's a small part of the body, but it brags about doing great things. So he's talking about our tongues control what? They control who we are. At our core, our language you use is reflective what? of what's going on in here. Then what's going on in here. And then our language reflects that. He's saying, now, now James' take on this is that, you'll see here in a minute, that we're all inherently bad. And I don't disagree with that because I've met all of you. Not me, but all you. And, uh, no, it's... <laughs> That we struggle, right? So I don't know if I, he, he uses some strong language. I think we all struggle. We all have this tendency to make decisions for ourselves instead of decisions for others, right? We're struggling with that in our country right now. We have people where individualism is more important than the collective. And so we are fighting about that back and forth. He says, a big forest fire can be started with only a little flame. And the tongue is like a fire. It is the whole world of evil amongst the parts of our bodies. James doesn't like the tongue. The tongue spreads its evil through the entire body. It starts a fire that influences all of life. I mean, I don't know if I disagree with this. Our tongue, these are the things, it spreads like wildfire, right? He says the tongue gets its fire from hell. I like that. What he's saying is our words can be rooted in hurtful things. People can tame every kind of wild animal, bird, reptile, and fish, uh, and they have tamed them, but no one can tame the tongue. It is wild, it's evil. It's full of poison that can kill. I warned you, James is a little dark here, okay? We use our tongues to praise the Lord, uh, Lord our Father, but then we curse people, like our children, on the way to church. And God made them like himself. Praises and curses come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, this should not happen. Do good and bad water flow from the same spring? He says, can a fig tree make olives? Can a grapevine make figs? The answer is no. And a well full of salty water cannot give good water. What James is saying is that the things within us, the things that well up inside of us, if it comes out and, and we're salty and ugly and nasty, right? If you're being a Karen, right? For the guy, it's Ryan, but you know, whatever. Uh, see, Ryan's like, no, it's not. Uh, but if we find it, I mean, but we thrive on these things. I live in a neighborhood where there's a Facebook page called the Karens of, and it names our neighborhood. And it's amazing. Uh, it's all these people who post the most ridiculous stuff. 
and they're calling them the Karens of you know, our subdivision. Now, the problem is, we, we do like stuff like that. But when we participate in stuff like that, when we read stuff like that, when we listen, when we're constantly putting that into our, into our bodies, into our systems, into our beings, guess what happens? I mean, it's input-output, right? It begins to change our hearts, I think. We begin to think like that. And it begins to change our thoughts, and our thoughts pattern changes. And then we begin to speak like the people that we actually don't like, but we find entertaining. I mean, go watch any TV show. It's usually based around some crazy, extreme personality that we laugh at, but usually at the expense of somebody else. And so herein lies my challenge to you today. Our words have value. I mean, we literally have the opportunity to create reality with our words. The things we speak, you ever heard somebody say you speak it into existence, right? The Bible reflects this, all these words. I mean, John, the Apostle John, we read about Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all very similar. It's almost verbatim the same. There's a few variations on some of the stories. But John starts his gospel off like this. He says, you know, you know, these words that we describe holy and God and good, kindness, loving, joy, all these things that we describe God. He's like, these are the words that we, we hold up. We've deified these things. And these words, they're manifest. They become real in Jesus. And he says, so the word becomes flesh. The word becomes reality. And I believe that it is in those statements that also our words become our reality. If you've ever done any work on yourself, ever been to a counselor, there's this phrase called, called self-fulfilling prophecy, where the things we think and the words we speak and the things we do, they become our reality. We've all met the person who likes to talk about a lot of drama and constantly has drama in their lives and speaking about it and talking about it constantly. And somehow, their life always seems to be full with drama. I believe there are ways in which we can curb our realities, we can curb our situations and our environments. And I believe so that if we feel something, and that, that feeling moves up to our brain and it processes it, and we use words then to speak that, I believe that the inverse is also true. I believe that if we start to use different language, if we start to use language that is healing, that is helpful, that brings people together instead of separates, that is inclusive, that as we get to use this language in these words, that it starts to make our minds think differently about a thing. And as we think differently about a thing, our hearts begin to change, and we start to feel differently about things. Because often I hear people like, I don't feel like that, so I'm not going to say it. I don't care how you feel. I shouldn't say that. It's strong language. I care how you feel. But the words you choose to use not only influence you in the life, but those around you. And I believe we literally have the opportunity by the words we use and create that we give them value. And as we create these valuable words, that we should use them to bless others, to lift them up, to help, to heal, to mend. This week you're going to encounter a lot of people. You're going to go home and encounter your friends and your family. You're going to go to the workplace and you're going to encounter coworkers. And there's going to be people who are going to be Karens to you. They're going to be nasty. They're going to be ugly. You're going to look at them and you're going to say, Ryan, I love you. We're not going to use words that hurt. We're not going to perpetuate that cycle of hurt and of pain. We're going to contribute to healing. And that starts with our words. Let's go to God in prayer. 
God, we thank you for the opportunity to use words. God, you have given us so many words. We read about them in the Bible of, of influences that you've spoken to people's life. And God, these amazing things, this language that we can use can help to shape our reality and the reality of those around us. God, the way that we talk about ourselves and others is a reflection, really, God, of what we think about you. God, help us to know that you love us, that you are loving, and everything that comes in and through you is love. God, help us to share that with those around us. Help us to realize, God, that our words have power. God, that we can speak life into death that's happening all around us. God, that we can heal, that we can mend, and God, with your help, we can bring people together. Help us to realize that it is through your spirit and through our words that we are connected to one another. Help us to see these needs, help us see those opportunities, God, and help us to fulfill them. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope you'll join us again next week.